man, where would K-State men's basketball be right now without Nigel Pack? <laughs> I, I will argue as well. I mean, K-State, look at the Big 12 standings and also look at the Big 12 statistics as we continue on with Wildcat Insider Mitch Fortner and the voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson. Sage Williams with us as well. Feel free to t- chime in, Sage, if you have something to say. But Mark Smith has been playing his absolute tail off the last couple of games. He's best rebounder in the Big 12. Marquise Noel is one of the best assist guys, one of the best assist to turnover ratio guys in the Big 12. Yeah, he had three turnovers against TCU, but he makes up for it. He's always going to at least double it up with the assists. So K State has like these statistic leaders, but yeah, it's also kind of the same the rest of the Big 12. You'll have a certain guy from Kansas, Ochai Abaji, who's going to score the heck of the basketball, but somebody else is going to come up with the rebounds. So K State has just this great talent. But it's going to be Nigel Pack. And I want to bring up Nigel Pack for just a moment because I think what's really stood out to him is, of course, he has been really good shooting the basketball lately. Really all season long, he's 43.5% from three-point range. As a scorer altogether, he's 46% from the field as a, as a guard, you know, a two-guard. And he's sharing the floor with also you know, Marquise Noel, who you know, when he steps up, he's taking the ball to the hoop, drawing some fouls or dishing off to with great passes. Nigel Pack is right now K-State's, of course, best shot of having an all-Big 12 type of player. The topic has been brought up the last couple of games, especially after the last couple of wins. Yes. Is Nigel a first-team, all-Big 12 type of player? And, why? I want to go back to what you were saying during the break. I thought you brought up a couple of good points. Well, here's what I would say at this particular point, and we'll get into the other Big 12 guys here in a moment, but – to give you a sense of what Nigel is doing as he continues to ascend upward here, let, let's first look at the okay. Let's let's first look at the last five games that he's played. Twenty-one point six points per game on average, three rebounds, fifteen assists with only five turnovers and eleven steals, shooting fifty-one point four percent from the field, fifty-three point five percent from three. He's gone twenty-three out of forty-three from distance. 9 of 11 at the free throw line. That's his last five games. <laughs> I don't know what that says to you, but now let's go to the conference games, okay? Conference-only games, 18.8 points a game, 3.7 rebounds, 18 assists, 15 steals, shooting 46%, 43% from three, and he's made 21 out of 24 free throws against some of the best competition yeah. in the country. I, I would say... And you asked me off-air if I thought he was a first-team All-Big 12 player. The answer today is yes. The question that can he be there at the end of the season, in my personal opinion, isn't whether he's going to average 21.5 points a game like he has in the last five or the next eight. It's more about can he be in the neighborhood of what he's done so far in league play and on the season, okay, and is K-State going to be – 10th, 9th, or 8th, or 4th or 5th or 6th. That will, I'm telling you, that will be a telling factor. Because looking at the league, I think right now you would say there are three guys that are probably locks for first-team All-Big 12. Ochai Abaji is is probably a no-brainer. Okay, so there's one. Okay, where do you go after that? More than likely, just on numbers alone and what's, what's happening, Bryson Williams at Texas Tech. 
And I would probably, at least now, ask me in a couple of two or three weeks, because they're sliding a little bit, but Isaiah Brockington of Iowa State has been awesome. Now, after that, (laughs) Baylor will probably have a first-team guy. Their issue is is they don't have a a, a guy or two like last year, like Davion Mitchell, who's a little bit above. I mean, they have like three guys that are in the top ten in scoring in the league. L.J. Cryer is their leading scorer coming off the bench. Akinjo's had a nice year when he's been healthy. And then Adam Flagler's pretty darn good, too. So you could start looking at a lot of different guys. Some, some are going to probably throw other names out there, whether it's Marcus Carr at Texas and those types of guys. But it depends on how I think they finish. You mentioned Mike Miles off the year, and I think that's a good point. Right now, they're 15-5. and five, But they have a, a really tough schedule ahead of them in February. Not that everybody else doesn't. But what is he going to look like when we get to the 1st of March? So it's going to be a real race for those you know, last few spots, I think. Nigel, it's been so good this whole season. He's had only one game where he didn't score in double figures, and that was that Green Bay game where he was coming off not playing against Marquette. Yeah, he played like 14 minutes. Yeah, so, and yeah that was also the game he didn't start. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. And yet he started every other game. His numbers, though, like he has improved so much. Like Sophomore slump is a thing I do believe in. He is the opposite of a sophomore slump. He's played four less games than he has that he did last year, and he scored 35 more points in 20 games than he scored in 24 games a year ago. His three-point shooting is 3% better. His total shooting overall percentage-wise is 5% better than last year. You know, his rebound numbers are, are kind of the same. His turnover numbers are half as much as they were last year. His assist numbers are a little bit lower, but that's also Marquise Noel, Noel, case in point right there. Marquise Noel is playing off the ball. Yeah, Yeah. and he's phenomenal. Yes. Nigel is he's kind of he's turning pretty much to a spot up shooter in a way where he's going to try to roll off a pick and he's waiting for that pass. He's going to catch and shoot. He's a hair trigger or he's going to carry the ball over to the spot after a ball screen and he's going to launch it if he gets a little bit of space. I think that's the real jump that he's made to be honest with you up and above and beyond the obvious of of knowing the league being a very smart player understanding angles all of those things that you want to say but he's going to be a 40 to 45 percent three-point shooter from here to eternity I think that where he has expanded his game is off the dribble where he rarely gets in a hurry Uh, he makes those little floaters. He comes to a jump stop. He's great at making head and shoulder fakes and getting people in the air. And then they come down. There you see him and and making the shot. He's just expanded his game. He can use his left hand. How many times have you seen him use his left hand on a bank shot, you know, on a little runner or whatever? Um, so all of those things are factors. He's he's just more comfortable, uh, I, I think, in, in virtually every way. And l- like Saturday, I, I I don't remember this right off the top of my head. Look, I think he had four steals in the game uh, against TCU too. So, and and that's a new career high for him. Yep, four yep, steals. You're right. Yeah. So, he, I I think you can make a hugely strong argument that he's a first team All Big Twelve guy today. Really believe that he's really only had like one. I would say maybe off day in Big 12 play, and that would have been the home game against TCU where he's shot less than thirty percent. Yep. But he finished with ten points. 
Um, and maybe the Oklahoma game. You could probably throw that one out there, but he also hit a couple of threes. Or he had three threes in that game. If you look at the Big 12 statistics, and I think it's more important to look at just conference statistics because who's voting on this whole thing at the end of the day anyway. It's going to be the league's coaches yep. that determine who's going to be the five names on that all-Big 12 first team. And you'll find Nigel Pack is top five in field goal percentage. He's number three in three-point field goal percentage. In Big 12 play, Nigel Pack is second in scoring. It's going to be scoring that stands out above anything else when you vote on these things because who's going to, when the media ask about the opposing players at the end of the day, they're going to be like, well, that Nigel Pack kid, he hit those big threes once again and he had 20-something points. I mean, the, the coaches are going to be hearing about Nigel Pack more than anybody else, I'm sure. Sure. So if you get media, if you're on the road and you go to the opposing players or the opposing team's uh, press conference, just start, start shouting out the name, Nigel Pack, <laughs> brainwash him. Yeah. So he gets those votes. The, the thing that is difficult about this league, though, and this, again, speaks to the strength of the conference when you get right down to it, and those coaches sit down, and I know how this works. I've seen it work before. You know, the, the coaches will talk to the media relations person, and they'll, they'll discuss with their staff, and, and in particular the assistant coaches. And you start going through names, and that's when you said that, it makes me think about this. You start going through names, and they're going to remember Marcus Carr at Texas and how hard he was to guard, and Kevin McCullough at, at Texas Tech and James Akinjo at Baylor. <laughs> and uh, Tyrese Hunter at Iowa State, even though we haven't even – you see what I'm saying? I mean, pretty much everybody – we didn't even mention Taz Sherman. Yeah. I mean, Taz Sherman – West Virginia is really struggling right now, but they gave Texas Tech a pretty good game in Morgantown Saturday without Taz Sherman. And he's averaging 16 this season. Or yeah. in big, and that's in Big 12 play. Yeah, and even better than that in, in – well, I, I think he is above that in overall play. But I can find out. Yeah. But the point is, is the, do- the the guy can shoot the dog out of it. He can really shoot the ball. Uh, Tash Sherman overall this season in Big 12 play, or I should say in Big 12 teams and players, he is averaging 19 points a game. That's second best behind Ochai. <laughs> yeah, that's and, in, and then Nigel Pack would be in third place at 17 points a game. Exactly. Yeah. Those are in all games. Yes. Not, just, not conference, but all, all, all games. The whole season. Yeah. So he he's a baller. He, he can play. And again – I'm probably leaving guys out, you know. We haven't even talked about, I mean, Oklahoma's got some players, Oklahoma State. I mean, you just, it just goes on Gibson and on. Gibson yeah, from I mean, Oklahoma. Sure. Yeah. He's so, the one that pops out to but me. But I, I do Groves. think, again, I, I will say this. Uh, as we talk here today, I do think Nigel has played at a first-team All-Big 12 level at this point, and I do think it's critically important how the team finishes as to whether he has a real shot at first-team. I'll just say it like that. I tell you what, if you look like at the top fifteen on who's scoring, you'll find uh, you'll find a couple of KU names in there. You'll find a couple of Baylor guys, maybe more than a couple. I think there's three in there, mm-hmm. but uh, there are also three Wildcats yeah. in the top fifteen in scoring this season in the Big Twelve. Well, and Mark's Mark's one of those guys, and he's just been terrific. I mean, <laughs> it's been said a thousand, maybe two thousand times, but for a guy in this league to be six four and leading the league in rebounding is crazy. That's actually, crazy. so Marquise Noel, he actually uh, just just jumped Mark Smith in uh, who would be the second leading scorer on this K State team right now. Marquise is at eleven point nine. Mm-hmm. Mark Smith is at eleven point seven. Yeah. So let them have a nice little race on who's going to finish second, and <laughs> yeah, we'll see how fun that is to watch. Yeah. Well, and and again, we talked about this last hour, but part of the reason K State had success 
last week is it wasn't just a – they'd gone into a little pattern there where a couple of guys played pretty well and everybody else was way off. Not just off, but way off. That was not the case against Oklahoma State or TCU. Made made a big difference. Now, while we're still on the topic of men's basketball, I just want to bring up Selton Miguel. Uh, are we thinking another week? I know we're going to hear from Bruce Weber tomorrow, but I've uh-huh. kind of lost track I think, of the time. I think what you'll hear him say is I think it'd be pretty iffy for Wednesday night, but I think they're hopeful that he can go on Saturday in Ames. In watching the shoot-around on Saturday at Showmeyer Arena in Fort Worth, I was really surprised because the, the team was down at one end, he was at the other, and I was really surprised at how well he was moving. Now, he wasn't going anywhere near 100%. He was just getting some shots up and doing a few little a few little things. But major progress over the last two or three days or maybe even four days for him but he's worked hard at it too, you know. He's he's been in the whirlpool, and he's you know he's really worked at it. He's trying to get back. Um, kid loves the game, man, and I I think there is a chance that he could go on Saturday. He, he probably won't yet be at a hundred percent, but you know, guys are young when they're young like that and that strong. They they tend to bounce back pretty quickly. And for his injury, and we thought it was a lot worse than it ended up being. Uh, I'm sorry, I think I said that wrong. It wasn't as nearly as bad as they feared at first, mm-hmm. and he's he's healed pretty pretty quickly too. So I'm like them, hopeful that he can go on Saturday. When we come back, we do have uh, Gene Taylor down on the uh, old itinerary, but he's traveling. <laughs> so if it's if he's not able to join us, no big deal. We have backup plans. That's Wildcat Insider here on KMAN. Well, bad news. No Gene Taylor. We'll, we'll figure something out. We'll have him on later this week, hopefully. He's busy. I get it. No big deal. But the good news is Wyatt and I are still here. And Sage. That's even better news. Sage is running the show, so you know everything's going to go very smoothly. By the way, Sage uh, Williams, we've been playing this game called Do They Know It, where we basically – Wyatt, I think you'd have a lot of fun with this. We have movie clips, TV show clips, and song clips. And we got to guess like the artist in the in the song name. That kind of thing, and the the TV show. It's the TV title, the show title, and the character name, and then the movies. It's the movie title and the actor actress. Wow! And we just basically complete compete in teams. And Sage has never lost a game. No way. Undefeated. She's undefeated. I've I've lost one time, but I was I was two against one. A little lopsided there, but I wow. I did compete well. She's usually my partner. We might have to switch things up. It's just not fair. <laughs> you guys. That, that's pretty interesting because, you know what, that reminded me of what we were just talking about was that um, you've seen the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. The episode where they do the uh, drawing on the board, the, what do you call that, the, uh, help me, Sage. Uh, drawing on the board. Yeah, where you're, you're, you draw the, the name and they have to guess what it is. Like Pictionary? Oh, Pictionary. Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And the girls, or like Hangman or something? Yeah, the girls just crush the guys. Yeah. And they're, they're supposed to be the smart ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. It's a, yeah, I have a lot of fun with that, but it was a play on when John and Mason didn't know a thing about music and movies, and that was always a hit. That's like a KAB award winner three times. Is that right? Yeah, and huh. uh, but they obviously moved on, so we kind of because you killed them. We caught. We made yeah. an audible. Yeah, we made an audible, and we're, we're continuing to have fun with it. So, 
Wyatt and Mitch with you here on Wildcat Insider. Uh, since we have no Gene, I do want to bring up Thad Ward. Yes. Uh, he's going to be the new wide receivers coach at K-State. the final hire made by Chris Kleiman, necessary for the upcoming season. Uh, I just want to get your general thoughts on this. I uh, just kind of looking over his resume. He's been quite a few places, but he's had success. It, it feels like he's a good recruiter, but I really, what I really like about him is he takes these K-State type of recruits and turns them into all-conference type of players. I really like that, his development of players. He has been around a little bit, and that's a good thing. He's also done you know different positions, too, which I think is a good thing. As an example... At one or two of his stops, I think he's coached running backs. You know, Illinois. Yeah, so I, I I think that is a good thing, and and I'm I'm excited to meet him. I'm excited to see how he works because I I sit there and I think about you know what K State has you know in the in the receiving core coming up for 2022, and just kind of thinking off the top of my head, and now got the list in front of me here: Keenan Garber, R.J. Garcia, Malik Knowles. Brennan Hawkins, Chebaston Taylor's going to be back. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cade Warner, Philip Brooks, Sterling Lockett. That's a pretty good group to, to start with, right? Yeah, not it, not too uh, bad, especially you got a group of guys there that have experience. Yes. You yeah. know, I, I, as far as I know, nobody really moved on from this this past season. So other than um, Weber, yeah, Landry, Landry uh-huh. is moving on, but Cade Warner will be back. Yeah. We found that out last week. Mm-hmm. During the Chris Kleiman press conference, he confirmed that he's getting as old as his old man. I thought that was a great, great joke. But Kurt Warner's going to be hanging around for another season. And I, I liked what he was doing towards the end of the season. He was uh, becoming a, a a profitable target that yeah. K-State could rely on. Yeah, I think you're, what you're describing there is a, a real nice mixture of veteran guys that have been through. I mean, you think about all the football as as an example that Malik and Phillip have played, boy, you expect a lot from those two, right? Yes. But you also expect those other guys to take a step forward. And, you know, Garber's been around a little while now. He, he needs to take a step. Uh, some of those other guys, I think, are more than capable. And, and then you've got that, that group like a Ty Bowman, Thomas Helton, Cade Warner, those types of guys that also, you know, can be your fourth and fifth guy or fourth and fifth and sixth guy, you know, and, and be productive. That that's, that's the key, I think. I'm excited for Coach Ward. Um, I, I thought they really did a nice job, too, of, of elevating Coach LePac. Uh, he's, he's hugely liked by the staff and, and the young players in the program. He's very, very bright. I can't stress that enough. Uh, and I, I think he'll do a really good job with the, with the tight ends. Uh, that kind of stuff. I, I, I'm really excited for the spring to get here, just to, to be able to you know, see see if they can build off how they closed out the season with the with the Texas Bowl win against LSU. Yeah, I'm excited for Ward as well because he has a veteran group of wide receivers that I, I would say I felt like this last year did do a little bit of a better job. Skylar Thompson there for a while was putting up you know 200 yards passing a ball game. Deuce mm-hmm. Vaughn was a big part of that, of course. But sure. you know Malik Knowles got better throughout the year. He became more of a reliable pass catcher. When if you go back to the 2020 season, there was a big concern that he was dropping some touchdowns and you well, know, your and number one was he wasn't always healthy either in those couple of seasons prior to this last one and last year he was not necessarily a hundred percent all the time but few are if you really want me to be honest about it but healthy enough to perform at a pretty darn high level week in and week out for you know 13 weeks of, in a 12 game schedule it's hard to do 
Uh, but but he really did accomplish that for the most part last year, and you hope that he can replicate that. He, he went into last season in the best shape of his life, uh, and I hope he can do that again. And if, if he does and stays healthy, he can be – you know, a really quality receiver in this program. I'm convinced of it. And, and Philip Brooks is what he is. He's a terrific return guy. <laughs> uh, he he can go over the middle and catch. He can get wide and go to the outside boundary and, and make plays. And I just think th- those kind of guys with that kind of experience are invaluable. I just do. And I would consider myself fortunate, if I am Coach Ward, that uh, there will be a veteran quarterback there sure. and Adrian Martinez, that the K-State coaching staff went out and got a player like him who's been playing for quite a while sure. and can sling the football and also run it. And uh, when you got a veteran quarterback like that and some veteran wide receivers, I mean, you, you feel pretty good until things start to change after this season and a younger quarterback will most likely be playing. We'll see how things turn out. That's sure. kind of hard to predict, actually, at this point, with the transfer portal being what it is. You just never know. But you would have a feeling that it would be a younger quarterback being going to be thrown into the work sooner or later. We'll see what Spring Ball has in store for us. That'll be sure. quite interesting yes, as well. That's will. a storyline. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I, I'm just very excited about what he can do recruiting-wise and the development of these young players. He's done a really good job. He's had a great track record of helping go get some big-time recruits for Temple. And uh, as of recent years, Temple and Illinois. I'm also anxious, too, to see the impact that Colin Klein will have as the offensive coordinator. Um, he's a very bright guy, as we all know. He loves K-State, as we all know. Uh, I think he proved in the bowl game that he is is capable. Uh, I do think that there were others knocking on his door, to be perfectly honest about it. Uh, I think he was going to get an opportunity to be a coordinator in 2022, whether it was here or somewhere else, in all, all frankness. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited that he's still here and, and will coach. Um, and and I I know with with the quarterbacks you mentioned, we, I mean we all know what Deuce Vaughn is. Those receivers. That I'm really excited about the offensive line. I usually don't say that when you when you lose, you know, your starting center and and uh, probably your starting right guard and that, those kind of things. But there are so many good quality young uh, offensive line guys in the program. I I I think they're. To me, that's another thing that I'll really watch in the spring. I, I get excited to watch those young guys because I think they they have – Oh, I, I wouldn't even want to throw out a number, but there's a handful of guys there that I think are going to really be quality, quality players in our program. Now, before we take a break, a caller wanted this question to be asked to Gene Taylor, uh-huh. but I think we can ans- actually answer the question. I do really appreciate the question, and the caller wanted to know if there was an update on Mike Dabini. K-State soccer coach right before Christmas had a stroke while he was visiting family in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to coach a couple of weeks ago, ran into him at a Manhattan High basketball game, and we talked before the broadcast. And also, uh, shout out to his wife, Trina, who's been posting updates on Coach Tabini on Facebook. He's doing very well. He's doing very, very well. Um, he started traveling again. Well, of course, he had to come home. But it does appear that he's now, once again, traveling as in a team capacity, getting back on the recruiting trail. I saw a picture from just two days ago. He ran into Brooklyn Ince in the uh, Kansas City airport. He and his wife went to the AFC Championship game. So after talking to him at that game and seeing these updates on Facebook, I think he's doing quite well. So that it's really good to hear because uh, what happened to him was was very serious. And not a, I had a grandpa who suffered a stroke on my second birthday. 
And for the rest of his life, basically the left side of his body was immobile. Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't able to move his arm. It was stuck at a 90-degree angle. It could have been very, very bad for Coach Dabini, but he came out quite lucky. We, we are quite fortunate that, that uh, Coach Dabini has gotten along so well through a very scary event. I think you said that quite well. And it's good to be able to sit here and, and, and say that he's doing well and, and on the way to you know, kind of being where he was before. It doesn't always work out for everybody that way. So, so you're right. We're, we're, we're all thankful. Absolutely. All right, we'll take our next time out. We'll get uh, Wyatt's opinion on the next couple of games coming up for the K-State men. And, uh, you know, might have to throw a few fun topics, a little <laughs> bit different topics in there as well. We'll find out what happens next on Wildcat Insider. Earlier today, the the women's basketball AP Top 25 came out, and uh, unfortunately the Cats have slipped out of the Top 25. They dropped to number 26, so officially their name isn't in the Top 25, but I, I got to say, I think they play a little bit better home and road when they're kind of, you know, being disrespected in a way, not being in the Top 25, but they're receiving enough votes to fall just one spot. Yeah, and it's it's difficult to look at their season and not think they're belonging in the top 25 I guess I'll say it that that way I I do think they deserve to be there but hey 26 you live with it for a week and go do something about it I guess the latest bracketology from Charlie Cream which actually has not been updated since Friday what's the deal with these ESPN bracketologies and not getting updated after the weekend we got to think about it or something well it's one thing to think about it but but you had all day Sunday I mean so I was telling you off air that I, I looked at ESPN and Lenardi's had been updated Friday morning. I'm going, what? <laughs> so then I go to CBS Sports that Jerry Palm does, and I, I, I really, I'm looking at the, the seeds, and I, I don't know if you really want to bring all this up, but he had Auburn, Gonzaga, Kansas, and Arizona as the ones, and Providence, Kentucky, Wisconsin, and Baylor as the twos. And I, <laughs> wanted, to, I wanted to email and say, did you see the Kentucky-Kansas game? I'm just curious, yes or no? And then, like, when, are you really telling me Providence is better than Purdue? And maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe they are better, but I, that one, like, shocked me. No, I'm not a fan of that one. Plus, he also has Wake Forest as a team that's right now on the bubble, like on the first four out. I thought that was crazy because Wake Forest is pretty solid. They're in the top 25 um, and they're also like top 40 in the net. So I thought I was just scratching my head on that one. They're like 36th in the net rankings. I, yeah. yeah. They I, did, however, in, in both polls, though, get Tech back into the top 10, Texas Tech. So that was good for the league for sure. But I did get a, give one a sh- uh, want to give a shout out to the K State women. They're right now a five seed in Charlie Cream's bracketology. That would send them to South Bend. That's the projection there. But of course, we want K State as a top four seed or a, you know, a four seed at least. So they can host a first and second round, and right now Charlie Cream has six Big Twelve teams getting in. Uh, before we get to uh, what's coming up this week for the K State men, I do want to bring up the Olympics, and I want to ask why Thompson, who does watch the Olympics once in a while, do you have a favorite Winter Olympics event? Like if you had to participate 
in one? Is there one you would pick out? Well, I watched the Luge last night, and I didn't. And I'm just being honest about this. I guess I would call myself in the Winter Olympics more of a casual watcher, as opposed to the Summer Games that uh, that I'm probably a little more into for nothing more than just the events, to be honest. But I, I was, I didn't realize those guys going down that thing go 77, 78 <laughs> miles an hour. Yeah. It's insane. Frankly, I want no part of that. Do you? Would you do it? Uh, You know, I've seen some of those folks wreck, and uh, even some people get killed in that event. I haven't seen it personally, but there's there's footage of it. And no, especially when I'm not used to it, I don't want to try it if it's that deadly. Like, if you're going at that kind of speed and you have a chance, like, it's not like bungee jumping where you know you have a pretty good chance of surviving. (laughs) The cord doesn't rip too often. Yeah. If you take a curve the wrong way, a little bit too sharp, you might tumble, and it's a little bit hard to duck your head enough to where you don't crash and break your neck. I, I guess probably – I don't know that this would be my – I don't know if I have a favorite event, but, but I do have huge respect for the skiers and how they, how they do that because I lived in Colorado for 13 years and went skiing one time. And it was a disaster. I don't even want to try to go back. I just what I just didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't good at it. The guy I was with eventually just got frustrated, and he went to the to the slopes without me. And and he was a really good skier. I, I think I was there just to be company on the way up for him. You know, mm-hmm. it is. Are you a skier? It's hard. I've never been. It's I, I, I snowboarded one time, and I liked it. Yeah. Um, but no, I've never been skiing. I, I would try. I've never been to Colorado, so I, yeah. you know, I got to get out there sometime and, and go try it. By the way, I think I was getting a luge. Um, I, I was getting it mixed up with bobsled. Oh, uh, you know, but yeah. I don't think they're too different. Even though the luge is more just a one person thing, you're basically just riding on a sled. As far as I understand, that that, that does seem a little bit more dangerous than the bobsled. <laughs> uh, again, the wrong tumble, and you're going 78 miles per hour. That's not a fun ride on the way down if you fall off that sled no that, I, i'm sure that's accurate i i did uh, hear something today that surprised me that i didn't know didn't even think about it but i was driving back from topeka today and i heard a guy say that in the summer olympics the united states has roughly 600 ish com- competitors do you know how many they have in the winter olympics about 220. Really? I did not realize that there was that type of difference. That's much smaller big... teams. Any team event, sure. much smaller. Yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, let's jump into what we got for the K-State men coming up. Baylor and Iowa State, we've already seen Baylor. Iowa State, you still got two to play against them. But at least the Baylor game is at home. LJ Cryer, will he be healthy enough to play? That's Baylor's leading scorer. I suppose that's the big storyline. It, it is certainly one of the big storylines, without a doubt. And, and you know, they he's been injured um, for a little bit here. Uh, they've had uh, Jeremy Sohan be injured. They've had uh, Adam Flagler with a foot problem. So they've, they've really struggled to be healthy here in the last month or so. When they are, they're, you know, a really solid team. Are they as good as last year? No. Uh, could they still be a Final Four type team or an Elite Eight type of team? I, I think they're capable. Will they? That's that's the million-dollar question. But it, it's a good club for sure. But it's hard to compare them to last year because those guys were so good and so deep. 
I mean, think about it. You know, Matthew Meyer was a 12, 13, 14 minute a game guy last year, and he's a starter now. So it, it's just it's just what it is. It's different. Well, of course, you're going to be calling the game, but on Wednesday, I'll be announcing the names. Yeah. So there's a couple of them in here. I might need your help with Jonathan Chamwa Chachua. That's it. Jonathan Chamwa Chachua. You nailed it. You're, you're, you should be give yourself a gold star because there surprised are so many I just that ra- still mess it up. I, you, can come, you guys can come over and look at my computer screen. I did not pull up a pronunciation guide, I was just looking at the roster. And I just rattled it off. You yeah. know, maybe a beginner's luck or something. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, maybe you had him last year. I don't Thamba. know. Flo Thamba. Flo Thamba. Is that the other oh, one? Oh, yeah, yeah. And Akinjo. Uh, Akinjo. Yeah, that yeah. was the other one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Akinjo and – Yeah. Yeah. Not so bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's not bad. No Chris Fa Matu Mafala's in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I don't know. Does Iowa State have tough names in there? I don't know. I haven't really not, uh, not looked really. at it yet. The, the only kid that, that, that I questioned at all in the beginning, and of course I know what it is now, but they have a young man from Slovenia on their team, young man, a transfer from Washington State. So His like name is Aliaj Kuntz, okay. and they yeah. just call him Jazz. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I like nicknames. Jazz Kuntz. For sure. I tell you what, nothing. Uh, you want to talk about getting belled out as a public address announcer when the SID of the opposing team tells you, "Oh, we just call him Jazz." You can just call him Jazz. Oh, thank God! I don't want to have to deal with all those syllables. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had a little incident. I don't know if anybody would be interested in this or not, but when we were at Ole Miss, uh, the public address announcer mispronounced um, Mark. No, I guess it was uh, Marquise Noel's name. Okay. Just called him Noel, and I saw Tom get up. Get, and, oh yeah, and, and walk over to him. And, Good job, Tom. <laughs> and and just hey, you, you want him to say it right? I I assume that he checked with Tom prior, but I don't know that for sure. But uh, then he called him Noel a second time, and I think after that, I think he got it right. Yeah, if you're not going up to the SID and asking name pronunciations, it's amateur hour. Yeah, that's a big job of being a public address announcer. Get the names right. Sure. T.J. Otzelberger, though, is it's the second year, right? Of first, first in uh, first at Iowa State. At but Iowa he's State, been there three. He's been there as an assistant with three of the previous head coaches. Though. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, but he is. Uh, I tell you what, from what Iowa State had last year, last in the Big Twelve, just two wins. Otzelberger, you know, great non-conference season, but in conference play, hasn't really. I would say lived up to the hype. Didn't have the same. Didn't ha- hasn't had the same season non-conference to conference. Yeah, it's it's really an interesting thing. I think I think the numbers I had at the top of my head here. I think they started eleven and zero, and I think they're four and seven cents. They have really done a nice job of defending, but they've had trouble in the league of maintaining a good scoring pace. Um, just just so you know, I mean probably. Isaiah Brockington, everybody knows, is their star guy. But but Tyrese Hunter, who's a terrific freshman point guard, really good player. Uh, Gabe Kalsher is a transfer from the University of Minnesota. He he's he's not shot the ball well, but is a good player. Then they've got the Tristan Inaruna kid from Kansas. So they have some pieces, but they've been a little bit on the inconsistent side, much much more so than Baylor, who we'll see on Wednesday. Man, I hope. I, a big factor to me in this one against Baylor, obviously you're hoping K-State can hit some shots. Uh, things got pretty brutal there right away in Waco, but 
things can be a little bit different when you play a team a second time, especially when you're playing that team a second time at home. I always have my optimism. I think Mike McGurl, if he can step up and hit some shots, that would be a, a key factor uh, in that one. But uh, K-State, that I mean, Baylor, it, the thing is, I know K-State needs wins. They need to have a lot of wins heading in the in the final stretch of this regular season. If they didn't beat the Bears, I wouldn't fault them too much. <laughs> Even though they don't, they they might not have their top scorer in L.J. Cryer. Yeah, they'll be a hard out either way. But but I think Mike is a, you know what? I asked Coach Weber in pregame about him the other night, and and Mike responded with with thirteen. I may ask again just in hopes that he'll he'll respond because he had ten rebounds in the game against Oklahoma State midweek last week. Mike has played enough basketball and has been through. You know a lot of different things. I, I don't think the moment's you know too big for him. He he's capable and he's really playing with confidence right now. And the reason I say he will be a factor is because, yes, they have Flo Thamba and yes, they have Jonathan Chamuachua. But for the most part, this is a guard-oriented team with Cryer, Flagler, Akinjo, Bonner. You know that that kind of situation. And by the way, they also had a four-star freshman who was really good who tore his knee up in the preseason, so they could even be better if, if they had Langston Love, who's terrific talent. So anyway, that, that Mike Mike could be an interesting piece in the game Wednesday night. I've noticed there hasn't been very many 6 o'clock tip-offs this season. I, I don't know why. There have been a lot of 7 o'clock tips, some 8 o'clock tip-offs, but 6 have been pretty rare. The West Virginia game will tip at 6, but this Baylor game, Wednesday night, Bramlage Coliseum, is a 7 o'clock tip-off. And hey, students – one of the, you'll have another opportunity to win $10,000 at halftime with sure. a half-court shot. Yeah, I think the Monday deal is basically a, a 6 and an 8 o'clock window. Tuesday, most of the games, in, in all honesty, there, there's usually one game on one of the ESPN networks and then one on Plus or the Longhorn Network. And then Wednesday, kind of the same deal. So you, you really just have the 6 o'clock window most of the time on Monday. Uh, and then 7 or 8 uh, where they overlap a little bit on plus and say ESPNU or ESPN2. By the way, the other game, which is Saturday at Iowa State in Ames, first meeting between the two this season, a three o'clock tip off. That'll be an ESPNU broadcast television wise, but of course, here on K Man, coverage of the K State men with an hour pregame ahead of time with, of course, Wyatt Thompson and Stan Weber on the broadcast. Sage, we're just going to roll right through and get us out when you need to get us out. I did want to ask about um, a, a couple of Big 12 games this week. Yeah. Now, the only one when it comes to the weekday games, the only one that really stands out other than K-State Baylor is tonight, Big Monday. The main event on ESPN is number 8 Kansas and number 20 Texas. Kansas has picked up some big wins since they lost to Kentucky. But as Texas, as Texas, can they get it done against Kansas at home? I mean, if you're the rest of the Big 12, you're probably rooting for Texas tonight. No question about that. But here's what I would say. If Kansas can win tonight in Austin, I believe that they will be very hard to unseat as the league champion, and here's why. They would be 9-1. and one. They'd have a full two-game lead on Tech and Baylor and would have the tiebreaker more than – well, they don't really have the tiebreaker on those yet, but they'd have a two-game lead. And here's what they, they – they, with the win, they'd be 5-1 and one in the league on the road, and their remaining road games – Yes, they do play at Baylor, but they're also at West Virginia and TCU, and those are pretty winnable games. So I, I think they're in the driver's seat if, if, if they win tonight. 
And then the other one I was going to bring up is on Saturday, and it's another Texas game because they have the toughest schedule this week. As on Saturday, they're at number 10, Baylor. So they have KU and Baylor back-to-back games, one at home, one on the road, both in the state of Texas. Other than that, nothing really stands out other than K-State and Iowa State on Saturday. And no line on that yet, but I will mention KU is just a a one-and-a-half point favorite in Austin tonight. I suppose that's going to do it for Wildcat Insider. Once again, Wyatt, appreciate you coming in. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Well, coming up this week, we will have the game 4-6 to Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Troy and I will be on the road Friday. But full two hours tomorrow. Getting you closer to the locker room than anyone else. This is Wildcat Insider. Wildcat Insider, an exclusive presentation of the flagship station of the K-State Sports Network. News Radio 1350, KMAN.